uh, welcome to our morning service here at Zion. If you are visiting or if you're joining us on live stream, I want to welcome all of you. Uh, the children, some of our children, are going to come and sing at this time. Uh, I think they're going to sing two songs, Jesus Loves Me and Holy, Holy, Holy. Uh, I do have some announcements that I'll make uh, after the kids sing, uh, but it's always uh, a blessing and a privilege for us when they, they come and sing. And so, uh, Christine, thank you for your leadership, and uh, we look forward to uh, hearing the children lift their voices in worship to the Lord.
Well, thank you to uh, all the children. Wonderful job. Christine, thank you for your leadership. And Glenn, thank you for playing. Uh, a few announcements, things I want to draw your attention to very briefly. Uh, we have a fellowship lunch after the service this morning. Uh, all of you are invited and encouraged to stay for that. Uh, if you're visiting and don't have anywhere to go for lunch, we would love to have you stay. There's always more than enough food, and so uh, please consider staying and eating with us. Uh, blast is this Wednesday night. Uh, on the dinner menu is uh, fajitas from Primos. Now, Blast is always good to come to, but when it's Primos fajitas, it's like a necessity. So if you haven't signed up, uh, do that today. You can sign up in the fellowship hall. A couple of things about uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, first of all, 11 a.m. is the memorial service for Rena Swear. Uh, we are in need of some people to bring either a salad or cookies. Also, we need some help uh, with setup and cleanup. I believe there's a sign-up sheet in the fellowship hall for that. Uh, secondly, this Saturday is also Main Street Day. As I've been saying, uh, for a few weeks we have a booth there this Saturday, and so we need some people to man the booth. I think there's a couple of slots for the, the third shift Saturday afternoon, and so if you would be willing to help out with that, you can sign up for that in the fellowship hall. And then one more announcement, and that is that the council is offering to purchase uh, Christmas devotionals for any one, any family, any individual who would want one. It's a, it's a devotional called Love Came Down at Christmas by Sinclair Ferguson. Now, you can't hear Sinclair's wonderful Scottish accent in a book, uh, but the book is very, very good. And so if you uh, are looking for a devotional to read during Christmas, uh, you can sign up for your copy in the fellowship hall today. I'm going to ask you all to stand with me as we have a moment of silent prayer and ask the Lord to bless this service. And so let's bow together before him. Father, we thank you for the privilege to gather together this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we had to hear the children sing, and what a wonderful truth that Jesus loves us, and we pray that we would give to you the praise and the glory you are due, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 98 is our call to worship. The psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Receive now the greeting of our God and King. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together number 216. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty the King of creation will sing stanzas one, three, and five, and let's remain standing as we sing.
job correctly. And most of you have experienced that before. You start a new job, you know nothing about it, and so you get training, you get followed around for a while. I bring that up because I think sometimes we can view the Christian life that way. We think that uh, you know, God is the one who brings us to saving faith in Christ. God is there at the beginning of the Christian life. And then once we embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior, well, you're on your own. It's up to you to now live the Christian life. That is not at all what the Bible teaches. Uh, we, we just read from Hebrews chapter 13, and we, we heard these different commands, commands about how we are to relate to one another here in the body of Christ, commands how we are to relate to our spouse in marriage, uh, commands how we are to relate to people out there in the world. And we hear these things, and it might be easy to think, well, it's up to me to do this. I just need to try harder. But the passage ends by reminding us something very important, and that is that the Lord is our helper, always. Not just at the beginning of the Christian life, not just to to get you to believe in Christ, but all throughout your Christian pilgrimage. The Lord is your helper. As we seek to love one another, as we seek to minister to one another, as we seek to to love and minister to our communities, it's important to remember this truth that God is with us. He is our strength. We rely upon him, the one who is always with us. And he promises you, children, he promises you that he will always be with you and he will never let you go. We're going to sing a song that echoes that very truth. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. We've sung this song before. It's a beautiful expression of the fact that God is always with his people. Uh, We're going to sing all the stanzas and let's stand as we sing.
Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for the truth of the words that we just sang together. Uh, That despite the efforts of Satan, despite living in this fallen world, despite our own sinful hearts, you will hold us fast. You will keep us in your all-powerful grip so that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, we know that we are prone to wander. We know that we often arch our backs at your commands. We know that if we were left to ourselves, we would surely fall away from you. And so we praise you for so great a salvation. We praise you for your work of preserving us and keeping us and that you will save to the uttermost all who come to you through faith in Christ. Lord, we pray this morning for the strength that we need to walk in obedience to your commands. We pray that you would continue your good work in each one of us, that we would love one another, that we would be hospitable to one another, that we would be faithful in our marriages, and that we would be content with what you have given to us. We pray this morning for those we know who do not have the comfort of knowing Christ as their perfect Savior. For those who are blind to their sin, who are blind to their need of Christ, we pray that you would sovereignly and powerfully break into their lives by your Holy Spirit, that they might see their sin, that they might see their condition before you, and that they might embrace Christ as their only hope. We pray, Lord, that you would use us to be witnesses of yours and instruments of your grace. We pray that we would be humble, that we would... Uh, recognize and acknowledge that, that we are sinners saved by grace and that we would seek to bring this good news to those who do not know you. We lift up the ministry that you have given us here at Zion, the calling that we have, the, the upward call to worship you with reverence and with joy, the inward call to love and serve one another, the outward call to, to love our neighbor and to bring the gospel to those in darkness. We pray that all that we do would be done to honor and glorify you, to magnify your name, to declare the good news that Jesus saves. We pray especially for Main Street Day this coming Saturday. We pray that this would be an opportunity for us to interact with people in our communities and and let them know of the hope that we have in Jesus. We pray for those who are enduring dark providences at the moment, whether they are physical or emotional or spiritual, we pray that you would encourage and strengthen them by your word and spirit, that you would bring healing and recovery to them, and Lord, cause them to rejoice in knowing that you are their God and that you, they belong to you. Father, help us to understand the passage that is before us this morning so that we may see and also your grace, and so that we may praise you and live our lives for your glory. We ask all of these things. Thank you, Glenn. We're going to sing together number 394, Eternal Spirit, God of Truth. Uh, Just as we cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. We cannot understand and apply God's word in our own strength. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the the purpose of this song, to, to remind us and also to, in a sense, pray that God the Holy Spirit would help us this morning Uh, to understand his word and apply it to our lives. So let's sing uh, both of the stanzas, 394, and let's stand as we sing.
find ourselves this morning in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, the first book of the Bible. Uh, Genesis 11, we'll be reading verses 1 through 9 as we continue our series on favorite Bible stories, looking this morning at the Tower of Babel. Many people pronounce it Babel, many pronounce it Babel. Um, Scholars are divided about how to pronounce it. I'm just going to stick with Babel, tomato, tomato. If you say Babel, that's fine, but I'm just going to stick with Babel this morning. Genesis chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This past week I read an interesting story about a a man by the name of Gordon Hall. Uh, Gordon Hall in the 1980s made it big as a a real estate developer, uh, owner of a a chain of health clubs known as Nautilus Fitness Centers. In 1986, uh, Hall was interviewed by the Arizona Republic, which is a newspaper, while he was sitting in his 55,000 square foot house in Paradise Valley, Arizona. You heard that right, 55,000 square foot house. At that point, Hall was uh, only 32 years old, and he was a a millionaire many times over. It was estimated at that time that his net worth was $100 million, and Hall had even said that by the time he was 38 years old, his goal was to be a billionaire. Hall believed that he would live to be 120 years old, and that when he died, he would be a god. If that sounds familiar, it it is because Gordon Hall was a Mormon. Here's what he said in that interview. He said, as man is now, God once was. And as God is now, man can become. If you believe it, then your genetic makeup is to be a God, and I believe it. My genetic makeup is to be a God. My God in heaven creates worlds and universes I believe I can do anything too. Now you gotta have a lot of pride to say something like that. That arrogant attitude, that proud heart though, didn't last. Since 1999, Gordon Hall has been convicted on three separate occasions for various Ponzi schemes and tax scams. He's been sentenced to a total of 363 months in prison. Now, it doesn't always happen in this life, but in Gordon Hall's case, God humbled a man who was so proud that he believed that one day he would be a God. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about pride, and and none of it is any good. Proverbs 8, verse 13, God says, I hate pride and I hate arrogance. Proverbs 16, verse 5, says that the Lord detests the proud of heart. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud. And in Proverbs 6, where the Lord lists seven things that he hates, the first thing on that list is haughty eyes, a a proud look. 
St. Augustine said that it, it was his opinion that the root of every sin is pride. It's the attitude that no one, especially God, is going to tell me how to live my life. When we come to a passage this morning that is all about pride and arrogance, it's all about man's self-exaltation. And it's a reminder of what Proverbs says, that the proud will not go unpunished. Now, lest we think that this passage is only one that speaks to people out there, it's important that all of us remember this morning that this passage is also speaking to us. This passage is a lesson to us and a warning to us about the danger of pride and arrogance in our own lives. It's a reminder to us that the the only hope for any of us is to look to the one who humbled himself and, and died on the cross for all of our sins, including the sin of pride and arrogance. Now, children, you, you know this story very well. A number of you suggested this story to me. It's a story about uh, people trying to build a big tower up to heaven. Now, we're going to look at this passage this morning in two parts. First of all, there is man's prideful plan. And then there is God's righteous response. Man's prideful plan and God's righteous response. Now, notice how the passage begins. It says, the whole earth had one language and the same words. Children, do you know who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses wrote Genesis, and and to whom did Moses originally write this book? He wrote this book originally to God's old covenant people. He wrote the book to Israel. He's writing this book to, to a people who lived in a world, just like we do, where many different languages were spoken at that time. But, but here it's like Moses is saying, let me tell you that that wasn't always the case. Let me tell you that there was a time when there was only one language. By the way, um, one of the questions that has been troubling for evolutionists over the years is the question of where does language come from? And, and why are there so many different languages? Evolutionists don't really know how to answer that question. They, they will typically say, I have no idea. I have no idea where all these languages came from. But the Bible tells us, God tells us where all the languages came from. But at this point, there's only one language. And and verse 2 goes on, and it tells us that the people migrate from the east, and they end up settling in a place called Shinar. Now, there are a couple of, of, of words and phrases that we want to pay attention to here. Things to underline, if you like to underline. You see, there are times in, in the Bible when, when God gives us these subtle little clues. It's just a word or just a phrase that, that kind of clues us into what we are reading. The, the first is the phrase, from the east. Notice that phrase. Throughout the book of Genesis, the word east or from the east indicates a separation from God. And and not just a separation, but a a movement away from God. And so Moses is giving us a a subtle little hint here that this is a people that doesn't really care all that much about God. They're, They're not interested in being close to him. They're not interested in hearing what he has to say. This is characteristic of sinful man. He he doesn't want to know God. He doesn't want to hear from God. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away or moved away. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so in this little phrase, from the east... Moses is telling us that this is a a rebellious group. This is a group of people who want nothing to do with God. Second thing to underline is the little word settled. The people settled in Shinar. The, The Hebrew word that is translated settled literally means to sit down, to stay put. It's an idea of of permanence. 
Now, you, know, you might go, well, what's wrong with that? What, what's so bad about you know, putting down some roots and staying somewhere for a long time? Well, the problem with this is that it's a direct opposition to what God had commanded earlier in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bible, take it and go back to chapter 1 for just a moment. And look at verse 28, Genesis 1, 28. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and notice, fill the earth. Now go to chapter 9. Flood is over. God has just made a covenant with Noah, a covenant to, to never destroy the world again with a flood. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Moses is telling us something significant here. Moses is telling us that this is a people who are disinterested in God. They are disinterested in being close to him. They are disinterested in listening to him. They are disinterested in hearing what he has to say. They refuse to obey him. And they say to themselves in verse 3 of chapter 11, come, let us make bricks. Now, there's nothing wrong with making bricks. Part of the dominion mandate that, that God had given to Adam and to Noah was a mandate to, to use their gifts and to use their talents for the benefit of society and for the glory of God. And, and the same is true today. God calls you and he calls me to, to use the time and the talents and the treasures that he has given to us to be a benefit in our society, to be a benefit and a blessing to those around us, to, to bring glory and honor to God who gave us the time and gave us the talents and gave us the treasures. There's nothing wrong with making bricks. They're not sinning, I don't think, by making bricks. The problem, however, is what they intend to do with the bricks. Look at verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Children, it's what they want to do with these bricks that is the problem. They want to take these bricks and, and they want to build a city and they want to build a, a massively high tower and in this they want to make a name for themselves. They want to exalt themselves. They want people to see how wonderful and how smart and how great they are. And so there's a principle here for us in this. That the principle is that there are things in this world that are not evil in and of themselves, but they can be used for evil purposes. Bricks are not evil but they can be used for evil purposes. Social media is not evil in and of itself. Technology is not evil in and of itself. Movies are not evil in and of themselves. Alcohol is not evil in and of itself. And so we can't say all of those things are bad. You can't ever use them. That's legalism. That, that's, that's elevating man-made laws, which we ought not to do. However, all of those things that I just mentioned, social media, technology, movies, alcohol, all of those things can be used for evil purposes. All of those things can be used in a way that is not honoring to God. And so here in, in Genesis 11, the, the people take God's good gifts they, they take God's calling to use their gifts, but they're going to use them to glorify themselves. God's not going to rule over us. God's not going to tell us what to do. This is a people who want to make a name for themselves. They probably want people all down throughout history to say, my, those people, they were so smart so intelligent, so creative, so great. 
The Tower of Babel is not people saying, look at how great God is. It's look at how great we are. Now this comes to us as a warning today. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter your station in life. This is a warning to us. This is a warning to us individually. This is a warning to us as a congregation. As a church, who are we seeking to promote? Are we seeking to promote ourselves or are we seeking to promote God? Are we hoping that, that today and down through the years, people will say, you know, look at, look at how wonderful those people at Zion are. Look at all that they did Are we hoping and and praying that that people would say, look at how great God is. Look at how marvelous Jesus is. Look at how wonderful the gospel is. We we have a lot going on here at Zion. Uh, Stuff on Sundays, um, stuff throughout the week. We're thankful for all these ministries. We're thankful for all of you who, who serve so faithfully up front, behind the scenes. But but a passage like this one encourages us to to ask a question. Why do we serve? Why do we get involved? Why do we minister to one another? Why do we use the gifts God has given us? Now there's another little hint that Moses gives us here and And this time it's about the futility of this building project. Children, did you know that that Moses, he knew a lot about bricks. He knew a lot about bricks. He he grew up in Egypt. And and he grew up where where God's people, you might remember from Exodus chapter 1, God's people were forced to make bricks. But in the ancient world, if, if you wanted to build a big, strong structure, a big, strong building... You didn't use brick. You used stone. And and so already, Moses is giving us this little clue that this building project isn't going to be very successful. They're not even using the best building materials. They're they're using brick, not stone. That's what verse 3 says. They're using brick for stone. And it's a little hint, again, that Moses is giving us that, that mankind's rebellion Mankind's self-exaltation will always end in futility. Always. Psalm 2 talks about this. Take your Bible for just a moment and go to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 and verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This is just another way of talking about Genesis 11. God's not going to tell me what to do. I'm in charge. I will do what I want to do. Notice God's response in verse 4, Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. What is the only proper response to take? What's the only proper posture to take before God? Drop down to verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, worship the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We are to come humbly before the Lord. We are to recognize his holiness and his greatness and our sinfulness, and we are to take refuge in him. I ask you this morning, is, is this your posture before God? When, when God gives you gifts and talents to use and, and, and you are blessed to be able to use them, maybe it's in sports, maybe it's in academics, maybe it's at work, do, do you use those things to make a name for yourself or do you use those things 
to magnify God. Sinful man here in Genesis 11 and Psalm 2 arches his back against God. Sinful man is opposed to God. By nature, sinful man doesn't want God to rule over him. He wants nothing to do with God's rule. Sinful man wants to call the shots. And and that's sinful man's natural bent. That's his natural condition. And, And this should be a reminder to us that the only way for sinful man, sinful woman, to be changed is by God working by his spirit through the gospel. We, we look at our, at our society, our culture today, and, and it, it, in many senses, is messed up. You see it, I see it, we all see it. And, and we look at our society and we think to ourselves, if, if, we just, if we just got the Ten Commandments back into the courtroom, if we just got prayer back into the public school, and, and while I understand some of the sentiment behind that, and, and while we should work for and pray for and vote for godly civil leaders who will stand for truth and who will stand for just laws, putting the Ten Commandments back in the courtroom and prayer back in the public school will not change sinful hearts. It will not. The only thing that will change the heart of a sinful man or woman is the Holy Spirit of God working through the gospel. And, and this is why the church of Jesus Christ is, preached with task, is tasked with preaching the gospel. The church is not tasked with, with teaching you three steps of being a better this or that. The church is tasked with preaching the gospel because it is only in God working through the gospel that the heart of sinful people can be changed. This is why pastors need to be encouraged to preach the gospel. This is why churches need to set the direction of their church to proclaim and minister the gospel. And so this sinful, rebellious, proud group of people come together, withdrawing themselves in a sense from God, rebelling against him, thinking that they can, in a sense, build a a tower to heaven and dethrone God if they could, that they can show how wonderful they are. And God is now going to respond with his righteous response. Take a look at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Children, this is another little hint here. There's a hint in verse 5 that this project is insignificant compared to the greatness of God. See that phrase in verse 5, came down. The people thought that they could build a tower up to God, up into the heavens. But Moses tells us that God has to come down to even see the tower. Now we know that God is omniscient. We we know that God knows everything. He sees everything. But but here Moses in verse 5 is talking in a way that we can understand. Theologians call this a anthropomorphism. It's a fancy word for just saying that that we're being talked to in a way here that we can understand. Moses talks about God coming down to show us. Some people read this verse, heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. God is not threatened here or any time by sinful man. God is not threatened by the nations rebelling against him. Isaiah 40, verse 17 says, Before God, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Daniel 4, 35, All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. Brothers and sisters, don't ever buy into the nonsense that God is up in heaven wringing his hands 
wondering what's going to happen. What am I going to do about the Middle East? What am I going to do about the United States? What am I going to do about all these these conflicts that are going on in the world? I, I don't know what to do. Don't buy into that. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is sovereign. The God of the Bible is all-powerful. The God of the Bible is not caught off guard by anything. Instead, what we want to see in verse 6 is not a picture of God going, oh, what am I going to do? They're going to rebel against me and my rule will be over. What we want to see instead in verse 6 is that this is a picture of God's grace. God's grace. Children, what's, what's going on in Shinar here in Genesis 11? This isn't some innocent event. This isn't some music festival where people come from all over the place to gather in one spot. These are people united in their refusal to obey God and, and their refusal to submit to his lordship and their desire to take him off the throne if they could. And, and left to themselves, their united rebellion will grow only stronger and more united. One author writes this. He says, God knows that disaster is impending if this proud project is not stopped. Mankind will continue to amass power and he will stop at nothing in doing whatever his heart imagines. And so God, in his grace, is going to do something about this. Look at verse 7. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. You see what's being pictured here is that that God scatters these proud people. God scatters this rebellious people so that their sin, their united sin, united rebellion might be somewhat restrained. No longer are they working together. No longer are they speaking the same language. Now they are dispersed. That, brothers and sisters, is God's grace. When God breaks into the midst of our sin and the midst of our rebellion, when he breaks in, when we are living in some sin, and he wakes us up, and he shows us influence on you, moves away. Maybe that coworker gets another job. Maybe that person at school who is leading you away from God, who has a bad effect on you. Maybe that person goes to another school. But there are times like, like this when, when God breaks in and it is a gracious thing when God does that. That's what we see here. Notice how the passage ends in verse 9. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. There's an interesting play on words here. Uh, The name Babel means the gate of God. And, and, and surely that's how people viewed this tower. This, this was the gate to God. This was the way to get up to God. This was the way to get to God's throne, to, to remove God from his throne, to place themselves in his rule. But there's another Hebrew word that, that sounds a lot like Babel, Balal, only one letter difference. Balal means confusion. So no longer is this the gate to God. Instead, this is the place of confusion. God graciously confusing their languages so that their united rebellion would stop. Let me wrap up this morning with with a couple of connections to the New Testament. First of all is is an individual level connection. The Bible is clear that there is no way that we can ascend up to God. 
Many people think that, that by their own efforts, they are building a tower or a ladder or whatever you want to call it, that they are, they are, through their efforts, going to get up to God. They are going to get to heaven on their own. And, and they, they build towers and they, they, they do all kinds of supposed good works and they, they try harder to be better, but, but they can't do it. Children, the Bible is clear that there is no way for you to get to heaven or get to God on your own. The the only way to be reconciled to God, the only way to have a a right relationship with God is not to go up to him. The only way is for him to come down to us. And that's exactly what he did in Jesus Christ. Jesus took on human flesh He came down to this sinful world to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. See, if you want to be in a right relationship with God, you you need two things. First of all, you need all of your sins removed. All of them. And so Jesus went to the cross and and he took all of our sins upon himself and, and God's wrath upon those sins... And it's through faith in him, through trust in him, that our sins are washed away. Second thing you need, though, is that you need perfect righteousness to stand in God's presence. It's not enough that you just have a clean slate. It's not enough that you just your sins are washed away. You also need a perfect righteousness to be in God's presence. And so Jesus obeyed every one of God's commands perfectly for us. And through faith in him, his perfect righteousness is credited to us. You you don't receive those things by by trying to climb a ladder or a tower up to heaven. You don't receive those things by, by building a tower to God through your own good works. That will always fail. You receive the forgiveness of your sins and perfect righteousness through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so the first thing I say to you at the conclusion of this sermon is to remember that the Tower of Babel is a lesson on how not to get to heaven through your own efforts. Secondly, though, the second connection is more on a corporate level in terms of the church as a whole. Children, you remember that that after Jesus rose from the dead, shortly thereafter, he ascended to heaven. And do you remember what happened after he ascended into heaven? Ten days after his ascension, on the day of Pentecost, people from, from all over were gathered in Jerusalem. These were people who spoke many, many different languages. And on that day, the the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church and the people who were gathered there in Jerusalem, they each heard the gospel being preached in their own language. Out of many nations and out of many languages, God made one people through faith in Jesus. It's like God reversed the curse of the Tower of Babel. And God is continuing this work today. He's continuing to draw people to himself through faith in Jesus from all nations and all languages. Children, imagine all the languages that people are singing today. Imagine all the languages that sermons are being preached in today. Imagine all the languages that, that people are saying the Apostles' Creed in today. All throughout the world, God is drawing people to himself from all nations, all tongues. In Revelation chapter 7, we have this, this great scene in heaven 
John says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they were crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I love how the New Testament essentially is saying the curse of Babel has been reversed. Sinful man thought that they could could rebel against God, that they could build a tower to heaven, that they could usurp his authority. But God in his grace confused their language and scattered them. And now through the preaching of the gospel he is building one people through many different languages. To echo the words of Joseph that he says at the end of Genesis, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. God took Babel and he used it for his glory and for his kingdom. And brothers and sisters, we are part of that kingdom. We are part of that one people that God has saved out of this world. How thankful we are that that Jesus came down to us. Because if he didn't come down to us, we would never go up to him. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you. Help us to use the the time and the talents that you've given us to magnify you, to exalt you. May all that we do glorify you. We thank you that you came down to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that through him we may have a right relationship with you. We pray that if there are any here this morning who are trying to build their tower to heaven, they would recognize the futility of that and that they would cast themselves at the feet of Jesus, trusting his power to save. We pray this. and 91 is our doxology. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. We'll sing stanzas one and seven. 
Uh, Tonight we are continuing in the series on out-of-context Bible verses. Philippians 4.13 is uh, one that is thrown all around the sports world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, Is that really what that means? What what is Paul saying in that verse? And so invite you back tonight at 6 p.m. After our service we have lunch. And so after the service I'm going to ask those of you who are able to stay for lunch. And again visitors, please stay. We have lots of food I'm sure and we would love to, to share our food with you. Uh, those of you who are staying, uh, please be seated. We're going to sing a few songs while the food is put out, and then after that we'll be dismissed to eat. But before uh, we sing the doxology, uh, God gives to us his blessing, and so receive that blessing now. The love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.